On today's episode, the 20th of Grimm's Fairy Tales, a story titled, A Story About a Brave Tailor. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast about how fairy tales and folk tales were way more fun before they got cleaned up to be made more family-friendly. So we're going through Grimm's Fairy Tales from A to Z, and today's episode is the 20th of Grimm's Fairy Tales, a story about a brave tailor. Let's get right into it. Once in the little city of Romandia... A tailor was sitting and working, and he had an apple lying nearby. There were also many flies around the apple, as was usual during the summertime. The tailor became angry, and he took a piece of cloth. Then he hit the flies on the apple and killed seven of them. When the simple-minded tailor saw this, he thought that he had taken care of the situation quite well, and he soon had a beautiful suit of armor made for himself, and also had golden letters inscribed that read, Seven with one stroke. So this tailor is so pleased with himself for killing a few flies with one stroke of of a towel, a piece of cloth. Granted, that is pretty impressive, killing seven flies with one little whip of cloth. But not so impressive that you can have a whole suit of armor made about it. We continue. Then, dressed in his armor... He went onto the street, and whoever saw him believed that he had killed seven men with one stroke. After that, everyone was terrified of him. Now in the same region there was a king whose praise resounded far and wide, and the lazy tailor, they keep calling this tailor simple-minded, lazy, these are not not nice words. Granted, the fact that he made such a big deal out of killing seven flies means he's probably not got a lot else going for him. The lazy tailor made his way to the king's court, lay down on the grass, and slept. The royal servants, who went in and out of the castle, saw the tailor in the splendid suit of armor and read the inscription. He just passed out on the grass? They were very puzzled about what this warrior was doing in the king's courtyard during a time of peace. They thought he was undoubtedly a great lord. The king's counselors who had also seen the tailor, informed his majesty that this man could be very useful whenever there might be a conflict. Does no one recognize the tailor? Is he just keeping the the helmet part just totally shut so no one can possibly recognize his face? Because if you can see his face, someone's got to know, oh yeah, he's the tailor in town. He's not killing people. He just eats apples and works on his clothes. The king's counselors, who had also seen the tailor, informed his majesty that this man could be very useful whenever there might be conflict. The king was very satisfied with their advice, and soon summoned the well-armed tailor, and asked him whether he wanted to enter his royal service. The tailor answered right away and told his majesty the king that this is why he had come, and asked him to tell him where he might be of use to the king. The king immediately accepted him into his service and gave him special lodgings. Now, it didn't take long for the knights to show the good tailor their ill will. They wished the devil would cart him away. Why? It's just because they're jealous, I guess? But they were afraid that if ever they had their differences, they wouldn't be able to stand up to him because he had killed seven with one stroke. 
so they continually thought of ways to get rid of this warrior. Finally, they discussed the situation with one another and agreed that they would all go to the king and ask to be released from his service, and the king granted their wish. So they all just quit? How is that a solution to their problem? Now they're just unemployed knights. Who else is employing knights other than the king? And presumably there's more than seven of them, right? There's got to be more than seven knights. So this guy can kill seven in one stroke. They can take him down. The king was sad to lose all his knights on account of one man. Again, I don't think it needed to come to that. And he wished he had never laid eyes on him. Ah, so the king's turning on him as well. Indeed, he actually wanted to get rid of him, but he didn't dare to discharge him for fear that the tailor might kill him and all his people and take over the realm. I mean, if he still had all of his knights, he probably would be able to stop that. The king pondered the situation for a long time, going back and forth in his mind until he hit upon a plan. Since he needed such a strong and powerful warrior, he summoned the tailor and offered the following proposal. There were two giants living in a forest in the king's country, and they were causing great damage by robbing, murdering, and burning people. Jeez. Nobody could get near them because they tore apart anyone who approached. Neither weapons nor anything else had helped. However, if the tailor could conquer these two giants and kill them, the king promised him he would receive the king's only daughter for his wife, and half the kingdom as dowry. Moreover, one hundred knights were to accompany him and lend him assistance. So he's got a hundred knights. I thought all the knights quit. Also, why is he making it easier? If the plan is to get rid of this knight... Why is he giving him a hundred knights to presumably also get killed by these giants? This is clearly meant to be an impossible task. Why is he sending his own men to die as well? Not a great plan from the king. The tailor felt good about this proposal, especially since he would become the king's son-in-law, and he replied that he'd very much like to kill the giants. But he didn't need the help of the knights, for he knew quite well how to kill the giants. Then he went to the forest, and after he left the knights at the edge of the woods, he entered and began looking to see if he could find the giants in the distance. After he searched for a long time, he found them sleeping and snoring beneath a tree. The tailor didn't have to think long about what to do. He quickly filled his shirt with stones and climbed up the tree under which they were sleeping. Then he threw one stone after another on the chest of one of the giants until he woke up. The giant became angry with his companion and asked him why he was hitting him. The other giant excused himself as best he could. Then they lay down to sleep again, and the tailor threw a stone at the other giant. He too became angry and asked his companion why he was throwing stones at him. They quarreled for a while, but since they were tired, they let it pass, and their eyes closed again. Then the tailor threw a stone at the first giant again with all his might, and the giant couldn't tolerate his companion doing this anymore, so he hit him violently because he thought that it was his companion who had struck him. Well, the other giant didn't like this and stood up. They both became so furious that they ripped trees from the ground and began beating each other to death. Fortunately, they didn't tear up the tree that the tailor was sitting in. Well, that is very convenient, because I was thinking that. When he saw what had happened, he summoned his courage, which he normally didn't have, and climbed cheerfully down the tree. So now they're going out of our way 
to make it clear that this tailor is indeed a coward. Then he stabbed the giants with his sword a few times to create wounds, and left the forest to meet the knights, who asked him whether he had seen the giants. Yes, he said, I've slaughtered the two of them and have left them lying beneath a tree. The knights doubted very much that he could come away from the giants without being wounded, so they rode into the forest to inspect this miracle and found everything just as the tailor had said it was. While they all felt astonished, they also felt great horror. Indeed, they felt worse than ever. They feared that he might kill them all if he suspected that they were his enemy. So they rode home and told the king about the tailor's deed. Now the tailor wished to have the king's daughter along with half the realm, but when the king saw that he had killed the giants, he regretted that he had promised his daughter in marriage to the unknown warrior and began thinking of a way to break his promise, for he had no intention of giving his daughter to him. So he said to the tailor that there was a unicorn in the forest that caused great damage by harming fish and people. And if the tailor captured the unicorn, the king would give him his daughter. This is the second story now we've come across, where there's been a unicorn in the forest just causing trouble, just being a pest. I thought unicorns were majestic, magical creatures, but so far in Grimm's fairy tales, they're just annoying things that live in the forest. Just the cockroaches of the forest, I guess? Unicorns in Grimm's fairy tales are really not cool. Also, how is this unicorn harming fish? It's just going up to rivers and swinging its horn around underwater? The tailor was satisfied with this proposal, so he took some rope, went to the forest, and ordered his escorts to remain outside. He wanted to enter alone, and as soon as he went into the forest, he saw the unicorn charging at him and intent on killing him. However, the tailor was nimble, and he waited until the unicorn was very close before jumping behind a nearby tree. Meanwhile, the unicorn was running at full speed and couldn't turn, so that it thrust its horn into the tree so hard that it became stuck. When the tailor saw this, he went to the unicorn, put the rope around its neck, and tied it to a tree. We've also seen this way of solving a problem with the unicorn as well. Just get it to impale itself. Then he left the forest and announced his victory over the unicorn. Once the king learned of the tailor's triumph, he became tremendously sad and didn't know what to do, for the tailor continued to desire his daughter. Well, he's the one who made this offer. He didn't have to make this offer initially. He could have just said, I'll give you a bunch of money if you do this stuff, and he still probably would have done it. He didn't need to set the stakes so high in the event that the guy actually followed through and got it done. And now he's actually taking care of some problems for him. So he's kind of becoming pretty valuable. So once again, the king demanded that he perform a task and capture a wild boar that was running around in the forest. And if he succeeded, the king would immediately give him his daughter. The king's huntsmen were to lend him a hand. Okay, this seems like a big step down in difficulty. First, kill two giants. Second, capture a unicorn. Third, Catch a boar? This is just basic hunting, isn't it? So the tailor went off to the forest with the huntsmen, but he ordered them to stay outside, and they were pleased, for the wild boar had already given them such rough treatment that they had no desire to chase it, and they thanked the tailor very much. Once the tailor entered the forest, the boar charged at him, foaming at the mouth and gnashing its teeth, and sought to trample him to the ground. 
Fortunately, there was a chapel in the forest where people often rested, and it was nearby. When the tailor saw it, he ran inside and jumped right out again through one of the windows. The boar followed him inside, while the tailor ran around on the outside, slammed the door shut, and locked the boar in the little church. Then he went and announced to the huntsman that he had captured the boar. In turn, they rode to the king and informed him of the tailor's deed. He didn't really capture it. He trapped it in a church. When you enter that church, it's still going to be really difficult to secure the boar or kill it or anything. It's just going to be running wild inside of a church. Probably tearing up that church, demolishing it from the inside while, while you wait as well. Any time passed, that church is getting more and more messed up. And you can only hope that someone doesn't stumble across the chapel or plan on going to pray or rest that day in the chapel because the second they open that thing, they are getting trampled by a boar and undoing the tailor's work of trapping it. This is not a good plan. He did not accomplish this goal as far as I'm concerned. In any event, they rode to the king and informed him of the tailor's deed. It's not clear whether the king liked it or not, and that doesn't matter. I don't know what that's an odd thing to have in the story. He had to give his daughter to the tailor. However, I'm certain that if he had known that the hero was actually a tailor, he would have put a noose around his head instead of giving his daughter to him. As it was, the king had to give his daughter to this stranger, but with grave concern. Well, he's doing all the things you're asking him to do. I don't really think it matters much at this point, whether he's a tailor or a knight. He's getting results. You're giving him challenges, and he's knocking them out of the park. Albeit the boar. I'm, I'm still a little tepid on whether or not that was a successful accomplishment. But he's getting done what you're asking him to do. And why do you, they still call him a stranger? He's been there for a while now. Can't you get to know the guy? Have dinner with him. Get to know him. Maybe he's friendly. We know nothing about the tailor's personality other than that he's very self-aggrandizing with his, you know, buying suits of armor and stuff because he makes mild accomplishments. But maybe he's a nice guy. Maybe he's a good dude. King doesn't know this. Apparently he's still a stranger. Spend some time. Maybe you'll like him. Maybe you'll want him to be your son-in-law. But regardless, he's getting the job done. So regardless of whether he started off as a tailor, I don't think you can really fault him at this point. Thereafter, the tailor didn't ask much, but just thought about becoming the king's son-in-law. So the wedding took place with little joy, and a king was made out of a tailor. After he had spent some nights lying next to his bride, the tailor began talking in his sleep, and said, Boy, finish that jerkin and mend the trousers fast, or else I'll give you a whack on your head with my yardstick. Well, his wife happened to hear all of this, and she went to her father to complain, she begged him to help her get rid of this husband who was nothing but a tailor. The king was cut to the heart when he heard that he had given his only daughter to a tailor. This is not evidence that he's a tailor. He's just is talking in his sleep. Maybe in his dreams. He's just a, ta he's a tailor in his dreams. That's not so... It's not so unusual. Maybe he actually is a super successful knight and is the most badass guy in the world, but in his heart, he just wants to make clothes and he just wants to be a tailor. And, and so he dreams at night of tailoring clothing and admonishing children who work for him. And that's what he dreams about at night. You don't know that that's not the case. This is not evidence as far as I'm concerned. In any event, 
The wife has figured this out. So he consoled her, the king, he consoled her as best he could and told her to leave the door of her bedroom open that night. Then he would post some servants outside and when the tailor began to talk, they would go inside and do away with him. Why when he began to talk? Why does that matter? The king's daughter was content with this plan. However, the king had a weapons bearer at his court who was kindly disposed to the tailor and he had overheard everything. See, the tailor's nice, he's making friends. So he went quickly to the young king and informed him about the plot against him and advised him to protect himself as best he could. The tailor was very grateful and assured his friend that he knew how to take care of this matter. This tailor's got a solution for everything. When night arrived, the tailor went to bed with his young queen and pretended to fall asleep. While she secretly got out of bed, went to the door, opened it, and then got back into bed. As soon as the tailor heard this, he began to talk loudly as if he were talking in his sleep, and so loudly that the servants outside the door could hear him. Quote, Boy, finish that jerkin and mend the trousers fast, or else I'll give you a whack on your head with my yardstick. I've slain seven with one stroke, killed two giants, captured a unicorn, and trapped a wild boar. Do you think I'm afraid of those fellows waiting outside my door? When the men heard the tailor's words, they fled as if the wild host of hell were after them, and nobody wanted to do anything to him after this. Thus, the tailor remained a king for the rest of his life. The End I don't really think that's a solution. The king still hates him. His wife still hates him. No one trusts him now, because they've all kind of realized that he's a tailor. Yes, he is getting results, but everyone's just terrified of him. I don't think this is a sustainable ending. This isn't a happily ever after. This is a everyone still hates him, but they're too terrified to do anything about it. I don't think this is a sustainable ending. This is not a, we're not putting a bow on this. But in any event, that's the end. That's the ending we get. So I guess he lives out the rest of his days as king of a kingdom where his wife hates him and everyone's terrified of him. So enjoy that life, Taylor. I don't think anyone is really happy here. Probably would have been happier just staying a Taylor and not surrounding himself with a bunch of with a kingdom that hates him. Well, I think the lesson here, or the intended lesson, I think, is courage and confidence, as well as intelligence, will will get you to success. Because it's his confidence and his courage that got him into. Not courage, but it's his confidence that got him to the king, and that his intelligence that got him the, the results to ultimately become the young king himself. So it's kind of a fake it till you make it message. I think that's the intended message. But I think the real message is don't buy people's bullshit when they tell you how great they are or when they brag about shit. I think that's especially relevant like social media times and in modern day, because everyone promotes themselves like they're the best person in the world, like they're the most skilled and the most talented and the the best at everything, hottest people ever. Don't buy their bullshit. Everyone talks like it, and there's not much substance behind it. I think that's the lesson. Don't buy people's bullshit. You do got to give him credit, though, because he got results with the Giants thing. He could have just come to court as a tailor and consulted and, and asked if the king had any problems that he could help with and then just, you know, tell him about his plan to kill the giants and then the unicorn and then the boar. 
Like, he can solve problems. He's a clever guy. He doesn't have to f- pretend to be a knight to get where he wants to go. He could just, you know, do it on his own terms as himself. There's no need for deceit here. I'll throw that one in as another real lesson. Let your results speak for themselves. You don't have to talk yourself up. You don't have to put on a fake facade. You don't have to put on a fake image and, you know, make yourself seem like the best in the world. You've got something. You've got something. You got you actually have substance inside of you. You have skill, you have ability. Just be honest about it and let that speak for itself. Yeah, that's the real lesson. Let your capabilities speak for themselves. You don't need the self-aggrandizing bullshit. There's actually a partially incomplete version of this story that's thrown on the end here. That's a little, it looks a little, there's a lot more dialogue. It looks a little more flowery, but it's only partially complete. It's very short and it looks like it cuts off partway and said the rest, says the rest of this tale is missing. So I'm going to read that at the end. Let's adapt this first and then I'm going to read that, that little bit at the end. So to adapt this, it's going to be a movie. I think a movie would be cleanest. The tailor will be played by Thomas Middleditch. I think he'd be fantastic as this because he seems like a tailor. You know, he's kind of scrawny. He's not like super Hulk dude. He's, he's perfect for the this character that, you know, lets his intelligence and his problem solving fix the solutions. But I also like the image of him like wearing a big suit of armor and sort of talking himself up, acting like he's super tough and like playing it cool to, to, to put on appearances when he's actually Thomas Middleditch underneath. I think he'd play that very well. So the tailor is Thomas Middleditch. The king is going to be Samuel L. Jackson. I like that because, you know, he, he's, you know, he has the air, he has the, the feeling of a king, but I also can, can feel, I also feel like he would do a good job of when he sort of becomes a, afraid of Thomas Middleditch or, or sort of turns against him. He would definitely play up that, you know, the fire of, we got to take this guy down. And then the princess will be Zoe Kravitz. She's great in everything. She's good. I think it should be pretty true to the original story, actually. I think it, this, it's, it would be pretty entertaining as an original story. I don't think we need to adapt this and make it much different than what it is, the narrative in the time period that it's in. Yeah, just play it out exactly as it is in the story. You'd have the Giants be Conan O'Brien and Andy Richter. I think that would be they would be a fantastic, just bickering duo of Giants. I love it. Don't overthink it. This one's simple. The only problem, though, is the ending. This is not a good ending. I hate this ending. So I think to, to really come to a conclusion, firstly, I think you need to have Thomas Middleditch and Zoe Kravitz actually kind of start to hit it off when they meet. They actually get along quite well, and they're sort of coming, you know, developing a, a connection or a relationship. But then Samuel L. Jackson still just doesn't trust him and doesn't like the idea of being threatened by anyone since he's the king. And since this new person in town is, seems so capable and can solve everything and killed seven men in one stroke, he, he sort of becomes threatened by him and doesn't know if he actually wants to take him on as you know the, the next king. So he's distrustful and sort of keeps an eye on him and has like spies sort of around him. And it's the spies at the door that then hears the bit about him talking in his sleep, talking about the jerking 
the jerkin and mending the trousers. And then that spy who's positioned outside the door, maybe just a guard positioned outside the door, then reports back to him. And so it's the king's plan to kill him. And then Thomas Middleditch does the trick to freak him out. And they all run. And then that is when Thomas Middleditch just confronts Samuel L. Jackson and just kind of levels with him. And he says, yes, I started as a tailor, but look what I've done. I've cleaned up your kingdom. I've killed your giants. I captured the unicorn, that pesky, pesky unicorn. I was just causing a ruckus in the forest. Trapped a wild boar in a church, presumably to then terrify all of the churchgoers when they, when they next came. But yeah, he says, I've cleaned up your kingdom, taken care of every problem you've asked me. Why would I not? Why do you not think I would be a good king? I've been respectful of you and your authority, but I'm a problem solver. If we combine our, our skills and our abilities, and I've shown you that I've got plenty of problem solving skills, I think we could be a, we could create a stronger kingdom than either of us could ever do on our own. Let's stop working against one another and start working together. Samuel L. Jackson agrees and comes around and then Zoe Kravitz and Thomas Middleditch preside over the most glorious kingdom in all the realm. The end. So there we go. That's how we adapt it. Now I'm going to read the last, not last, just, yeah, it's just a couple pages. It's just a version of the story, but it's incomplete. So it will come to a very abrupt ending and we won't really get much of a conclusion. Although we didn't really get a great conclusion to the last one, so these these stories aren't always great with a conclusion, so that's not really out of character. Anyway, this is a version two, an alt take. Bonus. One summer morning, a little tailor was sitting at his table by his window. Just then, a peasant woman came down the street and cried out, Good jam for sale. Good jam for sale. She's got that good jam. The tailor stuck his head out of the window and called, Up here, my dear woman, you're sure to make a good sale with me. When the woman came up, he inspected each of the jars and finally bought a quarter of a pound. Afterward, he fetched a loaf of bread, cut a full slice for himself, spread it with the jam, and placed it on the table next to him. You'll taste good, he said to himself, but first I want to finish the jacket before I take a bite. He's given himself a little... Reward for his work. It's good motivation technique. So he began to sew and make big stitches out of joy. Meanwhile, the smell of the sweet jam rose to the flies, and a lot of them flew and landed on the jam. That's super gross. Hey, who invited you as guests? The little tailor said, and chased them away, but it didn't take long for the flies to come back in even larger numbers. The little tailor became angry, and he grabbed a piece of cloth from under his work table. Wait, I'll let you have it, and he whacked them. When he withdrew the cloth, he counted to see how many flies he had hit, and there were 29 dead ones before his eyes. That is so many flies. 29 flies? Before we just had seven. Even that was incredibly impressive and worthy of creating an entire suit of armor. This guy kills, in this version, 29. Also, Holy shit, that's so many flies in your house. My god, man. Stop leaving out jam. 
if you've got that many flies ready to descend on this piece of jammy bread. When he withdrew the cloth, he counted how many, twenty-nine dead before his eyes. You're quite a man, he said to himself. And since he was so delighted with himself, he cut out a belt and embroidered it with twenty-nine with one stroke. So he killed way more, but in this version, he just made a belt. Just a little belt. Didn't go all through all the effort of an entire suit of armor, much less grandiose. Now you have to go out into the world, he thought. And so he tied the belt around him and searched his house for something to take with him, but he found only a piece of old cheese, which he put in his pocket. What about the jam? He's got jam and bread, we know this. And as he set out on his way, he caught a little bird and also stuck it into his pocket. All right, this is one of those things where it's like, this is ridiculous, this makes no sense, why would he do this? You know it's just so it comes back around at some point later in the story. Because why is he just catching a bird? Stupid. There's a bird flying around, he just decides to catch the bird. Birds are not easy to catch. They fly. They don't want to be caught. It takes a lot of effort to catch a bird. He's just catching it and st- sticking it in his pocket? Psychopath. But I do like his his uh, his gusto with which he's like, I just killed a bunch of flies. I've got to get out there into the world. And abandon my life as I knew it. His way led him up a high mountain, and when he reached the peak, he came across a huge giant who was sitting there. And he said, How are you, my good fellow? You're gazing at the world, right? Well, I happen to be on my way into the world. It's a weird thing to say to someone. Where were you before? Aren't we all actively in the world? This makes no sense. This guy's a psycho. The giant looked at the tailor contemptuously, which I think he's right to do, and said, You're a miserable creature. (laughs) This giant just immediately hates this guy for talking like this. The little tailor responded by opening his coat to show the giant his belt. (laughs) You can read for yourself what kind of a man you have standing before you. The giant read the words 29 with one stroke and thought that it meant the tailor had slain 29 men. Therefore, he began to show some respect for the little tailor. Nevertheless, he wanted to test him first, so he took a stone in his hand and squeezed it until water began to drip from it. You're not as strong as that. I can do that as well, the little tailor said. If that's all you have to show, he immediately reached into his pocket, took out the soft cheese, and squeezed it until the liquid ran out. That beats yours, doesn't it? The tailor declared. Okay, but did he then, like, wipe his hand on his pants or something? Because he's, then he's just got a bunch of cheese on his hand. You're good. There's a lot of evidence of this. This is not a good not a good way to fool someone. You're just going to have a whole mess of gunky cheese in your hand. How do you play that one off? The giant was puzzled, and so he picked up a stone and threw it so high that it could barely be seen with the naked eye. Now you do the same. That was a good throw, said the tailor, but even so, the stone had to return to the ground in the end. Now I'm going to throw one that won't ever come back. He reached into his pocket, took out the bird, threw it into the air, and the bird flew away for good. How did you like that? The giant was astounded. All right, birds don't look like stones, and if you throw a bird and it flies away, probably making little, you know, twittering noises and chipping cheep, cheep, cheep noises as it flies away, it's not going to seem like a bird. You can see the wings. You can see 
the wings. And its trajectory is probably going all around and going up in a... It, at, uh, it's not going to work. It's terrible. It's terrible. I understand what it's trying to say, like, ooh, how clever. No, not buying it. The giant was astounded, so he decided to join him, and they continued walking together until they came to a cherry tree. The giant seized the top where the fruit was ripest. He bent it down, handed it to the tailor, and told him to eat some of the fruit. But the little tailor was much too weak to hold on to the treetop, and when the giant let go of it, the tailor was catapulted into the air. After he had come down again, unharmed, the giant said, "'What's this? Don't tell me that you're not strong enough to hold on to that twig.' "'Well, this isn't a problem of strength. It's about how much the tailor weighs. "'It's just not heavy enough to keep a tree that's bent on the ground. "'It's not going to happen.' "'That's nothing,' the tailor replied. "'Do you think that something like that is really difficult for a man who's slain twenty-nine with one stroke? "'Do you know why I did that? I jumped over the tree because some huntsmen were shooting there in the bushes.' Let's see if you can jump over it yourself. Now the giant believed for sure that there was nobody in the world who could surpass the little tailor in strength and cunning. And this is where the story just abruptly ends, and in parentheses it says, The rest of this tale is missing. Okay. I get, yeah, I'm kind I'm, mm, I, I'm not... I guess he's kind of clever, but it's all ridiculous. The cheese thing is a stupid, stupid trick because you got a bunch of cheese on your hand the bird thing there's no way he believes that that that's actually he has to be so stupid this giant to believe that that's a rock and then the tree thing he says oh i just jumped because some huntsmen were shooting there in the bushes well no one heard any gunshots and also if they're shooting there in the bushes where are they now where'd they go no nonsense excuses nonsense tricks first story definitely definitely better the logic is still questionable on a number of counts, but much more complete and much more satisfying. But I like it, to be honest. Even this one, I like it. I, I, just, I, just, I fucking love these old folktales. They're, they're chaos. In the greatest way. In the best way. I want to be clear about that. When, I, when I'm poking holes in, in the plot of these, it's out of appreciation for just the creativity and the audacity and the boldness of all of these. I love them. I love them all. Even when they're ridiculous and insane, I absolutely love them. So that's where we're going to end this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to rate, review, subscribe. All that good stuff helps us out. I know you've got ideas for adaptations as well. Send those to me over on Twitter or Instagram. I am terrible at social media, so I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter or Instagram. But if you send me some adaptation ideas, then I'll head on over there and check them out. Would love to. And also check out the website, ShadowBearStorySessions.com. You can donate. You can contact me, give me some feedback or suggestions. Would love to hear your favorite episode, favorite part of the episode, favorite adaptation. Let me know. So next week, we have got one of the all-time most famous of Grimm's Fairy Tales, Cinderella. Excited to see what the original version of Cinderella was really like. Don't know if I've made that clear. The version of Grimm's Fairy Tales that I that I obtained and that I have here and that I'm reading from, after I did a bunch of research, this is the version that I've been led to believe is the most true to the originals. And so that's why that's why we're going through this particular version. And so next week we will get the original version of Cinderella. So I'll see you next week. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. <laughs>